Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Thursday, February 4th, 2016. Interesting theme today. In fact, it feels like, you know, like when you are excited about giving somebody a gift and you got it all wrapped up and you're thinking you're not going to be able to like, not tell the person what the gift is. <laughs> That's how I feel about today's theme. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down. Slow, slow down. Stop. Actually open up your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of just... Crazy go nuts things being said out there in the world of Christianity, and a lot of this is just unnecessary. And uh, so, what we do is we compare with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-appointed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, and apostolates, and those put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those who we need to be listening to, whose you know books we need to be buying, whose curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. And we actually open up the Bible and compare what they're saying and see if what they're saying actually is sound biblical doctrine based upon what is truly revealed in God's word. When we look at God's word in context, apply just a little bit of good biblical exegesis and hermeneutics to a biblical text or um, if what they're saying is something they just made up, um, you know, like indefensible stuff, you know. Um, things that are not what God's word says, if they're twisting God's word and generally teaching for shameful gain, the things that they ought not to teach. That's what we do here at fighting for the faith. And I think a good way to think about it is this. Think back to the Protestant reformation. Yes. You're familiar with this work. It'll be like the 500th anniversary of the, uh, nailing of the 95 theses on the, uh, uh, door of the church in Wittenberg. Uh, next October, not this one coming up, but the one after that one. It's a big anniversary, right? And uh, and you know, there's a there's a reason why many evangelicals uh, are just uh, let's just say not happy with um, squeamish about uh, Roman Catholicism. Have you ever spent some time in a Roman Catholic church? Have you ever experienced the guilt that can be laid upon you in a Roman Catholic church? Have you ever sat there and go, why are these people praying to the Virgin Mary? Have you ever been to a Roman Catholic wedding, Roman Catholic funeral, and have left scratching your heads going, I don't get it. I, the Bible doesn't say anything about praying to the Virgin Mary, praying to dead saints. Um, and, and a lot of the things that they're saying, where are they getting this stuff from? 
Well, the answer is they're not getting it in the Bible. You're assuming that uh, that Christians should believe, teach, and confess what's limited in you know to in, you know Scripture. We don't have a biblical text that says you know pray to Saint Teresa of Avila. Then we don't do that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, the thing is, is that American and listen, that's too specific. Western evangelicalism. You can find iterations of this in the United States, Canada, Great Britain, Australia, places. They they are literally teaching doctrines that are every bit as made up and mythical and repugnant as anything that Roman Catholicism uh, believes, teaches, and confesses. I, I'm, I'm not making this up, and you're going to kind of see uh, examples of that. Today. See, I'm, I'm starting to let the cat out of the bag on the theme today. So... Um, <laughs> Can't help myself. I can't. I just couldn't help it. Anyway, you know, see if you can figure out the theme. Even though I'm really kind of starting to hint at it really strongly. So, and like I said, every episode of Fighting for the Faith, unless I say otherwise, actually has a theme. I, I try to get all of the po- horses pulling together, and I'm currently in the process of working on actually having help working on another NAR episode of Fighting for the Faith, and. Uh, yeah, I, I almost went with it today, but there's some things I, I got to work, kinks I need to work out in our next NAR episode. But uh, today, today we're going to do something a little bit different. But anyway, so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We are going to, oh man, we are going to begin with a uh, Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. And we're going to head over to HTV Church and we're going to listen to Nikki Gumbel talk about <laughs> the year of jubilee it's just utter nonsense and then we're gonna head over to chattanooga tennessee still under the auspices of uh, prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate and we're going to uh li- <laughs> listen to the pastor there at um venue church as he well I don't even know how to explain what it is he's going to be waxing eloquent on things the bible just doesn't say how's that how's that way of putting it and uh and then we'll take a break sometime in there we have a perry noble update perry noble has come to the rescue of mark driscoll no joke and uh, what perry noble says in his defense of mark driscoll is well biblically indefensible and uh and i'll explain that as we uh, listen to uh, mark driscoll do his thing and then what we'll do is we'll uh Head over to Lakewood. Well, actually, not exactly. Yes and no. Uh, we'll head over to Lakewood by way of the uh, late night show with Stephen Colbert, uh, Pastor Joel Osteen, and I say that word "pastor" like as loose as you can possibly mean it. Uh, appeared on the late show with Stephen Colbert to talk about his book, "The Power of I Am," and it is so clear in this interview, Colbert ain't buying it. Um, yeah, no, in fact, it's really sad when a Roman Catholic like Stephen Colbert has more biblical discernment than, uh, than, you know, the top evangelical in the world, uh, Joel Osteen. Yeah. And then if time permits, and I, and I mean this, it depends on how long we take for the other portions. If time permits, I've got like a, a an extra segment to throw in there with the Joel Osteen update. Uh, Joel Osteen's sister, uh, Lisa Com- Comes, uh, it's C-O-M-E-S is how she's spells her last name and uh, she re- uh, like literally uh, just last night uh, preached at Lakewood on acceleration in your finances is the theme there and uh, 
want you to hear what she had to say because it fits perfectly with what we're talking about uh, in today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And then for our sermon review, we're heading down to C3 Church, Oxford Falls. So we're going back down to Sydney, uh, well, to Australia. And we're going to be listening to a sermon from a young guy uh, there at um, C3 Church. They're in the middle of their uh, summer sermon series. And um, yeah, I'll give you more details about it in uh, in hour number two, but I'll, I'll describe what it is that we're going to be listening to here. This is a gentleman who clearly is, um, let's just put it this way, he's reading. He's reading theology. He's wrestling with theology. And I am convinced that this young man is very close to you know having a crisis of conscience. Um, and the reason why is because true, good, solid biblical doctrine in theology is not going to do him well at C3 Church. And ultimately, he's heading towards a collision, a collision. And the collision is going to be between what he's seeing in God's word and what he's wrestling with and what's happening there at C3 Church and uh, with men like Phil Pringle. And so we're going to uh, listen to his sermon and we're going to uh, spend some time uh, working with it and kind of showing you what's missing. Because with his sermon, uh, there's some yeah, there's some things that are mm, okay, and then there's some stuff that's like, mm, and then there's some stuff that makes you go, okay, he's reading. He's 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 got something. He's got a bee in his bonnet. He's he's cooking. Uh, he's he's got he's theologically working with stuff, and he's actually wrestling with it. And so. We're going to provide a, if you would, a friendly sermon review, and I, and I mean this is that you know, um, you know, it's it, this. He's not like way, way far out there, you know, on the lunatic fringe. No, it, this is a guy who, um, from theologically, sounds like he's becoming a fish out of water. Yeah, you know, it's something. Yeah, you know, to think about. It. I'll give you more details in uh, hour number two, but all of this kind of builds together, if you would. So uh, with that, we're going to uh, dive into the program proper. And since we're starting with a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, that requires us to do this. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there. When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are, standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life. Sing and roll a bowl, a ball, a penny a pitch. Sing and roll a bowl, a ball, a penny a pitch. Sing and roll a Roll a bowl a ball, roll a bowl a ball, sing and roll a bowl a ball a penny a piece. Yeah, that's right. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. So, um, what do you think about this idea that, uh, you know, we're in the year of Jubilee? Um, and what do you think of this idea of, well, you know, we could, um, well, how do I put this? Um, receive direct revelations from God that we preach uh, during the sermon time, talking about, 
the year of uh, Jubilee. Yeah, we're going to head over to HTB Church, and they're a multi-site uh, megachurch, if you would, out there in Great Britain. And we're going to be listening to um, Nikki Gumbel as he reveals to us a, a direct revelation that ap- apparently somebody there received regarding the year of Jubilee. And then just kind of ask yourself, is this what it is that we're supposed to be believing, teaching, and confessing yeah, as a Christian church? Or is this something that is as... Um, mythological and dubious as like prayers to the Virgin Mary. Yeah, just yeah, just think it along those lines. Here's Nikki Gumbel. I want to talk to you today about the year of Jubilee. Yeah, which um, historically nobody knows exactly when the year of Jubilee is anymore. Uh, yeah, that, that's kind of lost to history a little bit. Al Gordon, who's one of the senior leadership team here, said that as he was praying, he sensed the Lord saying to him that for HTB, 2016 is going to be the year of Jubilee. Uh So he sensed the Lord saying. What exactly does that mean? What is the cash value of somebody sensing that the Lord is saying something? And if the Lord is saying that, why is he only saying that it's the year of Jubilee for HTB uh, instead of for all of his Christians who live around the world everywhere? I mean, this this seems a little bit interesting. I mean, I, I didn't realize that God played favorites, you know, that, uh, hey, yo, those of you who are my children in Christ and uh, you happen to attend HTB, good news uh, it's the year of Jubilee for you. And then, of course, those of you who are my children in Christ who attend those Lutheran churches or, you know, some of those Southern Baptist churches and uh, generally those non-blessed churches that have small numbers of people. Um, yeah, it's not going to be the year of Jubilee for you. Sorry, um, you know, I play favorites. I mean, does that make any <laughs> sense to you at all regarding how God operates? And where in the Bible do we have this doctrine that God plays favorites, and for some congregations, you know, um, blesses them with certain blessings, while other congregations, they're left out in the cold. He looked up what that meant, and he saw that in the Jewish calendar, 2016 is the year of Jubilee for them. Yeah, that would be the current Jewish calendar created by the current crop of Orthodox rabbis, uh, but even they had to, you know, like kickstart the Jubilee, if you would, after uh, Israel, uh, the children of Israel returned to the promised land, uh, you know, the, the strip of land you know, that's called Israel today. Yeah, um, but they don't really know when the Jubilees are. The f- first year of Jubilee was in the year 1367 B.C., and the year of Jubilee happens every 50 years. So yeah, that's what they say, but they're not sure about that. It actually starts September 2015, and it runs to September 2016. It's the 70th year of Jubilee. Yeah, now you're getting all excited about this year of Jubilee thing, but uh, if God's the one declaring it, um, that the, the kind of begs the question, is God asking you to obey the Mosaic commands regarding Jubilee? 
because you know here you're you're talking oh well somebody said it's for you there at HTB it's the year of jubilee um but see the thing is is that in the year of jubilee if anybody owes you any money you have to clear the books you have to cancel the debt so are you telling the people there at HTB church that this year they have to cancel you know if anybody owes them any money they've they've got to write it off the books and a year of jubilee is a, a very significant year. It's a year when people are set free, debts forgiven. It's a year of God's mercy, God's blessing, faith. Yeah, and the, see, the thing is they didn't have Visa and MasterCard back then. They didn't have uh, banks like we have now. So loans were all done on a personal basis. So you're saying, oh, this year the debts were canceled. Yeah, the thing is, is that, yeah, they were canceled all right. But, uh, you know, the, the people canceling the debts happen to also be the ones, you know, financially who would take the hit. A celebration. And also in 2016, Pope Francis declared that for the Catholic Church, 2016 is going to be the year of Jubilee. That's right, and he's issuing, you know, like plenary indulgences. You know, like if you go to Rome and do particular things, you can get time off of purgatory. You're right, Pope Francis is saying that this is the year of Jubilee. And all of the things he's offering for the year of Jubilee, none of that is actually found in Scripture. Hmm. So I don't know whether I have the power to do this, but if I do have... Well, if you're not sure... Why are you erring on the side of, um, let's just say, being um, overstepping your authority? You see what I'm saying? I'd, I'd err on the side of caution. You know, but oh, so he doesn't know if he has the authority to do this. But let's part to do this. I wanted to declare that for HDB, 2016 is going to be the year of jubilee. Hallelujah! Yeah, there you go. So Nikki Gumbel, the vicar over there at HDB. Um, has declared, he's declared because somebody sensed that God was speaking that it, it, with no biblical, without any understanding of what the Bible requires for the year of Jubilee and what that even means, just, you know, saying, I sense, somebody sensed that God was saying it's for HTB, not anybody else, but for HTB, it's the year. And for those of you who are Roman Catholics, uh, good news. Pope Francis has declared the year of Jubilee, and you can get certain plenary indulgences this year. Um, but we, my question is, where is this actually taught in the Bible the way these guys are doing this? Answer, it isn't. What's the source of this theology? What's the source of this doctrine? Is, it, is the source really the mind of God? Or is it somewhere something else? Is the source... The, you know, basically the imaginations of these people. I mean, the, the, the I mean, where does the Pope get the authority to declare that this is the year of Jubilee, and then you know, and then you know, offer particular indulgences during this year? Where does the Pope have the authority to do that? Answer: He doesn't. But see, the thing is, we have Protestant churches, you know, churches that are supposedly part of the Protestant Reformation, that are doing the exact same thing that the Church of Rome is doing, just making stuff up and saying that this has something to do with God. I mean, what what's next? Will the folks there at HTB Church begin praying to dead saints? Will they be praying the, uh, you know, the uh, Hail Marys and things like that? I mean, 
what's next? I mean, if you're gonna do, if you're gonna just start making stuff up for God, why not? You know, you just kind of embrace what's going on in other quarters of the visible church that uh, you know we're patently what's going on is completely contrary to and in addition to God's word. Where are Christians supposed to get their doctrine from? Is my question. Answer: Well, Second Timothy chapter three says all Scripture is God breathed and is profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, so that the uh, man of God may be equipped for every good word. Yeah, so the well, the written word of God is the place where we go for our doctrine, our teaching, and uh, what's to be taught during the uh, sermon on Sundays. But these guys, they're they're just kind of making stuff up and saying whatever they want. Now, talking about making stuff up, we're going to head over to Venue Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're going to listen to their uh, lead pastor, Tavner Smith, as he explains to us, apparently, how it's illegal for um, <laughs> it's illegal for spirits that do not have a body to operate in the earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish I was making that up, but I'll have to let him explain it to you. Here's Tavner Smith. I'm going to blow your religious little minds in here today. I am. Because I'm going to tell you some stuff that I don't know if you can handle. But I'm believing that the Spirit of God's going to allow you to grasp this to take you where you need to go today. I want to read you a verse that, that changes everything. It's Psalm chapter 115, verse 16. I want you to throw it on the screen for everybody to see. It says this. It says that the heavens belong to the Lord. But I want you to notice this last part. But he has given the earth to all humanity. All right. Yeah, the heavens belong to the Lord, but God has given the earth to all humanity. This is true. This is true. But (laughs) read the fine print is probably the best way I can put it. Let him explain a little bit more. Here's what you have to know about God. Since God is a king, whenever a king speaks and decrees a law or a word, he can no longer go against that. Um, Okay. That's why it's so important to understand the word of God. Because if you understand the word of God, then you can talk it back to God and remind him what he already decreed as a king, and he has to live by what he decreed as a king. Uh huh. So now let me let me point out what's going on here. This is a little bit more subtle, but you can kind of see how the game is played. So because God is a king, therefore, if kings make a decree, they can't go back on it. Therefore, you know this. So you'll notice what he's doing here. This is basically imposing logical syllogisms on biblical doctrine, rather than exegeting a passage correctly. What he's doing is he's making inferences. If this is true, then this is true. If this is true, then this is true. If this is true, then that, that, and that, and that are true. Yeah, the thing is, is that that's not how Christian doctrine works. Quad non est biblicum, non est theologicum. That means if it's not in the Bible, it's not theology. So all that part where he said God is a king and kings can't change their, you know, if once they decree something, they can't go back on it. So you have, you know, None of that's actually a scripture. That There's nothing in scripture that says any of this. This is a theology that's being imposed on the biblical text, basically playing word games and then playing with logic and syllogisms. We continue. Those of you that are praying and at the end of your prayers you say, thy will be done, that just tells me you don't read your Bible because this... Uh, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Um, 
Scripture, Jesus teaches us to pray, thy will be done. Yeah, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray, he said, okay, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ooh, yeah, Jesus taught us to pray that way. Jesus, when he's going to the cross and he's in the uh, in the garden and the night before um, his crucifixion, he's sweating drops of blood, right? Uh-huh. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus apparently didn't know what he was doing. This guy just basically is making Jesus look like a, 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 a well, a theological uh, goober. Like Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. God's will. It is written. It's like when a person dies and leaves a will for people to come see what they've been distributed. He said, I died, but I rose again. And I'm not just going to leave you a will from a dead man. I'm going to leave you a will that is mine, that is alive. It's a rhema word that can come alive in every season of your life. Now notice he's putting words in God's mouth. Did God say any of those things? I'm going to leave you a rhema word. You know, not, you know, when you, did God say that? No, he didn't say that. He's not he's not exegeting a biblical text. He's making stuff up and imposing it on scripture. And shift you and it can change you and it can make everything different in your life. I am preaching up in Venue Church right now. Yeah, no really you're not. Here's where I'm going though. Here's where I'm going. Here the heavens are his. Yeah. But the earth he gave to men. Yeah, that's what it says that, you know, the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth is given to men. And you think back to the creation, we were created in the image of God, which means we as human beings, the pinnacle of God's creation, were basically to be in charge of the creation that he made. And we were stand ins for God, if you would. Yeah, that that's being made in the image of God is the idea that we would we would manage the earth the way. God would have managed it himself. He's managing it through us, though, as the means. Uh huh. He set a decree in place that I am God and I rule the heavens, but I have created a place on earth that can't be ruled by me. It can only be ruled by something with a body. Uh, no, that's not what that text says at all. You're sticking stuff in there. Wow. So apparently. Apparently says, the heavens are mine, but the earth I've given to the children of men. Means that if you don't have a body, you can't do anything in the earth? What? Come on now. Yeah, I'm not coming with you, dude. You're, you're out on a limb, and, it's, and the limb is like breaking. You're going to fall. So let me prove it to you. Because God doesn't have legal authority to operate in the earth without a body, he needs men to accomplish his work. Um, Wait a second. (laughs) Psalm 15 doesn't say that God doesn't have legal uh, authority to operate in the earth. And by the way, even if this were true, and there's no biblical text that says this, There is no biblical text that says it's illegal for God to operate in the earth because he doesn't have a body. Um, Who is Jesus? Jesus is God in what? Human flesh. Uh Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, actually, God the Son, second person of the Holy Trinity, has a body. So, I mean, this is just utter nonsense. 
Listen, I know you believe your house is haunted, but let me tell you the truth. Spirits have no legal authority to operate in the earth. Uh, they have no legal authority. So, yeah, those demons, yeah, they have no legal authority. Uh huh. None. If a spirit is in the earth without a body, it can't do anything because it's roaming around illegally. It is a law of God. Why do you... Why are the people at Venue Church listening to this quackpot? As yeah, quackpot. As if he's you know he's actually teaching them what Scripture really. He's he's totally just making stuff up, imposing it on the Bible. He's teaching a theology of his own mind, not a biblical theology. Thing spirits have to possess people. Why would spirits possess people if they didn't need a body to get something done? Oh, I don't know. Uh, oh, you got me over a barrel there, Tavner. You know, <laughs> why would they? Why would they possess people? You know, not, yeah, again, this is where. Where does this theology come from? So the the the, the claim that <laughs> God doesn't have legal authority to do anything in the earth because he is a spirit and doesn't have a body. Oh my goodness. There is no biblical text that says this at all. This is not Christian doctrine. This is not biblical theology. This is not anything that Christians have believed, taught, or confessed through the, in the entire history of the church. And there's a simple reason why for this. Because it's not in the Bible. From the beginning, God said, I'm going to make you Adam. I'm going to make you like me. You're a spirit and a body, and I'm going to give you dominion to earth, on earth. And I'm not going to interfere. I'm going to stay out here. And if you want me to interfere, then you have to allow me to use you through your words and through your prayers and through your actions so that I can legally enter the earth and do what I need to do. So he just put words in God's mouth. Apparently, there's a missing, there's a missing dialogue or monologue. God speaking to Adam. You know, where where in Genesis did God ever say any of that stuff? Answer: He didn't say any of it at all. Tavner is spinning a, a theological yarn. And it the yarn doesn't have its origin in the word of God or the mind of God. Nope. The uh, this yarn has its origin in the little wee little brain, corrupt as it is, of Tavner Smith of Venue Church. Yeah, God doesn't have legal authority. What kind of nonsense is that? All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back, a Perry Noble update as well as a Joel Osteen update. Stay tuned, don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. (laughs) 
Welcome to Build-A-God. How can I help you? Hello. I received a Build-A-God certificate for my birthday, so I'm here to build my own deity. Oh, this has got to be so exciting for you. Oh, it really is. Okay, let's get started. The first thing we have to do is determine whether your god is male, female, or unisex. Men are pigs anyway. She has to be female. Great choice. Now we have to select some of the attributes of your goddess. What do you provide? Do you want her to be kind, loving, compassionate, just, angry, righteous, wrathful? The goddess I believe in would only be loving and kind. Perfect. Now, is there any kind of sin that needs tending to by your goddess? Sin? You know, things like lying, cheating, stealing, murder, homosexuality. Well, I definitely want my goddess to be gay-affirming, and sin itself just feels so negative. I'm a good person, and I think my goddess will think everyone else is, too. Oh, wonderful! Your goddess is coming along beautifully! Now we have to get to the difficult questions. Does your goddess offer an afterlife? Yes! My goddess would let everyone go to heaven. Except for Hitler, Genghis Khan, and good-for-nothing ex-boyfriend. Oh, excellent! Excellent! Now for the final step. You have to name your goddess. Hmm... I think I'm going to name her Jesus. Oh, wonderful! That's what everyone names their god. Faith Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, is having a Biblical Worldview Conference February 5th and 6th, 2016, with the theme, Standing Firm in a Hostile World, to help Christians in a culture that is increasingly hostile to biblical Christianity. Speakers will include Pastor David J. Weber, Attorney Mark Stern, Professor Alan Quist, Dr. Adam Francisco, and Pastor Joseph Abrahamson. Registration and details can be found at worldviewsa.org. Again, that's worldviewsa.org. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. 
warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that people who are making up their own doctrine and theology are not actually teaching you what Christ would have us believe as Christians. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. You can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Uh, We have four different ranks to choose from. Powder Monkey is the lowest rank at $9.95 a month. Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. Master Gunner, $49.95. And Quartermaster at $99.95. This is a great way to support us. And, of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. And then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, Zip code 58208. Let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. Yeah, time for a Perry Noble update. It doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air. I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke, but they love me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flare. That's right. It doesn't really matter what I say or what I do, as long as I do it with a flare. We've been using that update music for a long time with Perry Noble, and he has decided to let his... <clears throat> Flair, come to the rescue of Mark Driscoll. He has noted that on social media, there are a bunch of people out there thinking that it's wrong. And by the way, this is what we call a straw man argument. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that he basically is you know, not addressing the issue when it comes to Mark Driscoll. And you're going to see this. He's basically saying there's a lot of people saying this is a bad idea. Now, there's a lot of people who are saying that Mark Driscoll is a fugitive from church discipline He did not submit to the leadership of Mars Hill, who basically said that he was going to have to step down for a while and be disciplined and then restored. He claimed direct revelation from God Almighty uh, saying that the plan of the uh, elders of uh, Mars Hill was a trap and then fled church discipline, packed up his family into the Mars Hill bus and then fled from Seattle to Arizona and uh, is now reemerged and has basically restored himself to ministry. That's the issue. And Mark and Perry Noble is not going to address that at all. And he's going to say some things. Not only is this a you know like a straw man argument, but he's going to say some things that are quite fascinating. So here's Perry Noble coming to the rescue of Mark Driscoll. Here we go. So how's it going, guys and gals? Facebook friends and family. I uh, I wanted to. <laughs> Hi, how's it going, y'all? <laughs> this is the weirdest video start I've seen in a while. Talk just for a few minutes today about Pastor Mark Driscoll and him starting Trinity Church in Arizona. He announced actually Trinity Church is not a church; it's a corporation. He's one of the officers of the corporation. It's not a church. This week, and there's been um, some people that have. Uh, said, you know, yay. And then there's some people that are upset. And the big question is, should Mark Driscoll 
actually be starting a church? Like, is it like he should, should he be doing this? And like, is this right? And uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of right. I think the better question would be, what does the Bible have to say regarding those who are qualified to be pastors? That's a better question to ask because my opinion and your opinion really kind of count for nothing, if you know what I mean. And so why don't we do this from a biblical text? And we'll just see what God's word says, understanding that it's God's word. This is what the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write on these matters. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that would be the pastor, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Mm -hmm. I would say that uh, Mark Driscoll's past um, rules this out. Um, as far as the not, you know, the, but he has to be, can't be violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Uh-huh. Yeah. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone uh, does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. Now, these are not my opinions. This is, these are not the opinions of the Apostle Paul. This is what the Holy Spirit says regarding the qualifications of somebody who's a pastor. And I would say this, Mark Driscoll, who is a fugitive from church discipline, who is restoring himself to ministry, is not somebody who is above reproach. In fact, he is quite still under reproach. And even the world recognizes this. And the world considers him being a pastor to be repugnant. The world does, not just Christians. And so, I mean, it'd be a, a totally different thing altogether if Mark Driscoll had been removed from ministry for a period of time like the elders of Mars Hill or the leadership of Mars Hill had planned. And then under their authority, he went through, you know, he got the help that he needed to address the sins that he'd committed. And he reconciled with those whom he squashed, uh -huh, paid back the money that he took from the church to make him a New York Times bestselling author. Oh, and by the way, this is a this absolutely true factoid. Um, you know who else has bought his way on to the New York Times bestseller list? Perry Noble. Mm -hmm. Perry Noble like Mark Driscoll, has also purchased his way on to the New York Times bestseller list. He paid money to game the system. Yeah, he has. And so I found it fascinating. Birds of a feather, if you would. So, But like I say, I'm going back, it'd be one thing, you know, if he'd reconciled, had uh, asked for forgiveness from the people he squashed and crushed at Mars Hill, those whom he abused, um, you know, did the right thing regarding the plagiarism, which, by the way, what, what were they up to as far as total number of books? that it were found to contain plagiarism on the part of Mark Driscoll. I mean, it wasn't one or two. I think it was like, you know, we were getting up to like 12, 13 counts of plagiarism in Driscoll's books. You know, I mean, the, the laundry list of things that were absolutely wrong, you know, that the sins that he committed, you know, which 
made him so that he was no longer above reproach, but was, you know, he was a disgrace as a pastor, even to the pagans, is what disqualifies him from being a pastor. But here's uh, Perry Noble, you know, well, you know, let, let's talk about this, you know, okay, okay Perry, let, let's keep talking. Um, before I offer my opinion, I want to go... Uh, whoa, whoa, did you catch those words? Before I offer my opinion. Opinion. Since when does Perry Noble's opinion count as, well, having any weight whatsoever when it comes to whether or not somebody is qualified to be a pastor in Christ's church? This isn't my church. It's not Perry Noble's church. It's not Mark Driscoll's church. This is Christ's church. And God has a say in who's qualified to be a pastor. And we need to pay attention to what God has said regarding who's qualified to be a pastor. But Perry Noble's going to offer us his opinion. The Bible and talk about another mark. Um, this mark is actually the mark in like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, like that mark. Um, yeah. Um, why are you going to a text regarding Mark? The reason I'm asking is because, I mean, this is like, you know the uh, you know the feminists in the uh, in the liberal churches saying, oh well, we can be pastors because it says in Scripture that in Christ, in Galatians, in the book of Galatians, there's neither Jew nor you know Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Therefore, we can we can have women pastors. And no, you go you, you want to know who's qualified to be a pastor? You have to actually go to the passages that address a specific doctrine. So notice Perry Noble isn't pulling up Titus chapter 1 or the passage that I just read in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Nope, he's off topic. He's going to hermeneutically find a passage that's not addressing the qualifications of a pastor so that he can give us his opinion. And surprise, surprise, his opinion is that Mark Driscoll should be planting a church and should be back in ministry. Who wrote a gospel. Um, pretty, pretty big influence. And um, Mark chapter, I mean, Acts chapter 12, we, we see him for the first time. He shows up, and it says in verse 25 of Acts 12, When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. And it goes on to explain that Paul and Barnabas um, take Mark on a missionary journey. And Mark's on this journey for a while, but it says in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, um, it's just kind of a side note in the scripture. It says, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. And that's all it says. But we later know and find out that Mark quit. Like this Mark right here, he quit. He walked away. And um, it was a pretty big deal. In fact, it was such a big deal. That Is the reason why Mark walked away because he was guilty of plagiarism? Was it because he'd created a pile of dead bodies behind the churches that he helped uh, plant? Um, <laughs> did he buy his way onto the New York Times bestseller list? Maybe it was the Athens Times bestseller list did, you know, using church funds to do that. Is that the reason why? He walked away. In Acts chapter 15, um, the Bible says this, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and, and see how they are doing. 
Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them. In other words, he had quit earlier. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, and it goes on to say Paul went another way and he took Titus and um, all that stuff. And and a lot of people are like, okay, I've actually heard people say, well, and that's where Mark kind of disappears from the pages of Scripture, but it's not true. Um, thank God for Barnabas because he pulled Mark back into the ministry. Thank God for Barnabas because he didn't give up on a guy that Paul actually gave up on. Thank God for Barnabas because he didn't say, you had your shot and you blew it. In fact, uh, yeah, um, again, if Mark had been guilty of taking church funds in order to lie and deceive and make himself a New York Times bestseller, if he had stolen other people's property, intellectual property, not once, but 12, 13, 14 times, if he had abused the people in the churches that he was playing, do you think that they would have taken him along on another missionary journey? God for Barnabas, because Paul, the same guy in Acts 15, that said, I don't think we should give him another shot. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, the very last book that the Apostle Paul wrote in the Scripture. Why aren't you quoting 1 Timothy chapter 3, which talks about the qualifications of a pastor? And there's a very simple re answer to this question. The reason why Perry Noble is not reading you know, Titus chapter 1 or 1 Timothy chapter 3 is because then he couldn't make the case that Mark should be a pastor. That's why he's giving us this ridiculous off-topic discussion of Mark. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, he says this to Timothy, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica, and Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Then he says this, Get Mark. And bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Here's the guy that was going to give up on Mark at the end of his life going, I need Mark to come and help me, because he's helpful in my ministry. But once again, I think we've got a choice as Christians, um, and I'm going to choose to be a Barnabas. Uh, <laughs> he said, I think. We have a choice as Christians. And so without any reference to the actual biblical qualifications for a pastor, oh, no, no, not at all. Perry Noble has decided to take the high ground, folks. He's decided to be a Barnabas. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's absolutely asinine. It shows that he is engaging in deceit. In, I mean, rank deceit at this point. Again, the biblical qualifications are found in 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trust, trustworthy. If any aspires to the office of the overseer, this is a pastor, he desires a noble task. An overseer must be above reproach. Verse 7, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace. Mark Driscoll has literally, you know, jumped ship and avoided being disciplined for the egregious sins that he committed while in the pastoral office at Mars Hill in Seattle. 
He has not truly repented. He has not reconciled with those whom he's hurt. He has instead fled from discipline, and he is restoring himself to ministry. And Perry Noble, rather than going with what the Bible says about who can be a pastor and can't be, has come up with his own doctrine, his own theology, and given us his own opinion. You know, and so with the choice before him is, is he going to be a Paul or is he going to be a Barnabas? And he's decided he's going to be a Barnabas. But by doing what he's doing, Perry Noble is not being a Barnabas. He's being a Judas. And I mean it. He's totally betraying Christ and betraying what God has revealed in his word by refusing to submit to it and refusing to address the issue at hand according to the qualifications of a pastor laid out in Scripture. I'm going to choose to believe in in Pastor Mark and Grace as they set out on this endeavor to plant um, a church. And I just want to say that I support him 100%. 100%. Now, some people have said, um, Perry, he hurt people. Uh, yeah, he did. And I've actually spoken to those people. Have you, Perry? I've had many conversations with those who were run over by the Mars Hill bus over the years. So have you. So have you. Yeah, so have you. he's hurt people. Well, so have you. Um, yeah, but he did it in the office of pastor. And he hasn't repented of it, nor has he reached out to reconcile with those who he has squashed. Do do we want to talk about the people he's hurt or do we want to talk about the people maybe that you've hurt? Because did he hurt people? Did he misuse his power? Did he abuse people? Yeah. Again, yeah, he did. I don't know. Of course, because you're sticking your head in the sand. But I think he's got ministry left in him. I think, I think he has ministry left in him. That's his opinion. I say, based upon what I'm reading in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and what I've read in Titus chapter 1, Mark Driscoll is not qualified for the pastoral office. And from what is public knowledge, what, what Driscoll has said about how he left the ministry at Mars Hill, how he was going to be put under discipline by the the leadership there, how he claims that he received direct revelation from God, releasing him from ministry and telling him that the the, the leadership of uh, Marcel was laying a trap for him. You know, this, this these all come out of his mouth. The man is not qualified to be a pastor. Yes, we all hurt people, but it's one thing to be a penitent Christian who has committed sins and lives in daily repentance, and to rather than being somebody like Mark Driscoll, who is not only impenitent, he's a fugitive from church discipline. The sins that he's committed clearly knock him out of ministry based upon the biblical qualifications for a pastor. So what Perry Noble is doing here, and I mean this, he is rebelliously refusing to acknowledge what Scripture says about who's qualified to be a pastor, and he's coming to the aid of his buddy, part of the good old boys club of the seeker-driven movement, Mark Driscoll, sticking his head in the sand and engaging in complete obfuscation. And, wow, I mean, this is unbelievable. Yeah, like I said, Perry Noble is not being a Barnabas. He's being a Judas. 
Moving along. When I'm feeling lonely, sad as I can be, all by myself in a charted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth in me. My shiny teeth that twinkle just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth that sparkle and beauty to my face. My shiny teeth that glisten just like the Christmas tree. You know the walk a mile just to see me smile. Shiny teeth and me. That's right. It can mean only one thing. We're doing a Joel Osteen update. And, oh, man. So Joel Osteen appeared on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. And uh, this was published over the Stephen Colbert YouTube channel on February 3rd of this year. And it's an interview with Stephen Colbert and Joel Osteen. And one of the more fascinating aspects of this particular interview is that Colbert don't look like he buying any of it because he, as a Roman Catholic, at least has enough biblical sense to know that the I am in Scripture ain't you. It ain't me. It's God Almighty. And let's just say that um, as I was watching the interview, it became very clear that Joel Osteen was embarrassed. His neck turned red. He looked very uncomfortable. And Colbert, by his body language, you should see this this uh, interview, just basically looks like, mm, yeah, no, no, it's it's not working for him. Here's uh, Joel Osteen on uh, uh, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Here we go. Uh, blessed by another bestseller. This one is called The Power of I Am. Two words that will change your life today. Okay. Now, when I think of I am, I think of Moses uh, up on the mountain saying yeah. to God, like, who shall I say sent me? And God said, I am uh, that I am. That's right. Uh-huh. That's right. God saying I am that I am. So even Stephen Colbert knows that I am is the divine name. It is the name of God. Now, that seems like a mystery to me. Like, <laughs> what, what, what more do you have to add to the word of God? Well, you know, I think in that case, God would say, and I am everything, because I am. Right. Now, mine, mine is a different take on it. It is what... <laughs> now, notice what he said. Mine is a different take on it. Since when does a Christian pastor in Christ's church get to have a different take on the divine name of I am? Just think about that for a second. I mean... What kind of chutzpah do you have to have? You know, you read the biblical text. What, you know, what's your name, God? Who shall I say sent me? Tell them I am has sent you. And that's the divine name of God. Jesus uses that for himself throughout the Gospel of John. You know, where he says, unless you believe that I am, ego e me, you will die in your sins. Using the divine name for himself. And when Jesus uses that name for himself, the Pharisees and the Jews, they pick up on it. And they pick up stones to stone him. And Jesus asks them, many great things I have shown you from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? And they say, not for those, but because you make yourself equal with God. They, they, they get this, okay? But Joel Osteen comes along and he sees in the Bible the divine name. He sees Jesus using the divine name for himself, I am. And he decides, you know what? I've got my own take on this. Really? 
when did Christian pastors have the authority to have their own take on the divine name? It, it, it's, it's absolutely mind-bogglingly, demonically deceitful, if you ask me. All is the word I am. I believe you're inviting into your life. So I think a lot of people don't realize it, but play it in Yeah, your- I'm going to back this up. I want you to hear his response again and listen to the origin of this theology. It's not the Bible. It's Joel Osteen, and he admits it. Listen again. Or do you have to add to the word of God? Well, you know, I think in that case, God was saying, I am everything because I am. Right. Now, mine, mine is a different take on it. It is what follows the word I am. I believe you're inviting into your life. Now, so- notice what he said. What follows the word I am, I believe you're inviting into your life. I believe. He didn't say scripture reveals that whatever follows the words I am, you're inviting into your life. That's what God said in his Bible. No, no, no. Joel Osteen said, whatever follows the I am, I believe you are inviting into your life. This is Osteenian theology. This is not biblical doctrine. This is something completely different. And Osteen admitted it. He admitted it when he said, I believe. A lot of people don't realize it, but play it in their mind. And even sometimes we say it, you know, you know what? I am slow. I am unlucky. I am, you know, not attractive. And I think we're inviting negative things in. I think he said, I think we're inviting. He did not say scripture reveals when you talk that way, you are inviting these things into your life. He said, I believe. This is Joel Osteen's the, the you, in fact, you know, let, <clears throat> let me put it this way: Stephen Colbert, a Roman Catholic, you know, prays to the Virgin Mary. Where does the Bible teach us to do that? It doesn't. Where did that theology come from? It didn't come from God. It came from some. It came from a man. It came from a human being. It may have come from a woman. You never know. One thing's for sure: it's not what Christians have always done. This is a theology. You know, the, the prayers to Mary. That is mythology. It's that's what it is. This it's a total myth. You know, Christians doing this are not doing this because they are told to by God in his word. They are following man-made doctrines. So Joel Osteen, in what he is saying here, is admitting, admitting that his theology is his. And Colbert picks up on this. Supposed to say, you know what, I'm blessed, I'm strong, I'm healthy, I'm talented. I think you have to invite the right things into your life. So this is the power of positive vision. Yeah, and boy, the look on his face is like, yeah, I'm not buying this. Or yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I think it is. The vision and the... Notice that people were laughing. The reason why they were laughing is because they can tell Stephen Colbert thinks this is just nuts. There's power in our words. I think people don't realize how many times we speak negative things about ourselves. I do that all the time. I'm so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I brought you this book just for you. Thank you very much. I hope this is going to fix me up. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) do you have to read the book? Do you have to believe in Jesus to read this book? No, anybody can read. Of course not. And again, Colbert is much more theologically astute than uh, than. Osteen is, and he's he's asking the right questions. This interview did not go well for Osteen. 
book. Our message is about even when Jesus was on the earth, he went to all kinds of people. So yeah. I've always tried to get outside of just the church walls. Your book, I mean, your, your, your church is non-denominational, correct? It's non-denominational. Now, are, are you yourself, if I'm, say, if, say, if I was somebody who was coming to your services or I was watching one of the 10 million people who watches you, you know, uh, every week around the world, uh, are you yourself in a way uh, a denomination? Because, I mean, 10 million people, that's as big as some religions out there. Yeah. I mean, are, there are Lutherans. Are, are, are such thing as Austinians? You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. He's asking the right question. And, um, yeah, um, boy, <laughs> uh, you know, you think about this. I mean, I mean, this theologically, I mean, is just a black eye for Osteen. What's going on in this interview? People who follow Osteen? Yeah, well, I hope not. I mean, I, I hope they get- Well, that, what do you mean you hope not? Where did you get your I am theology from? You got your I am theology out of your little brain and your blackened little heart. You didn't get it out of scripture. You've got a whole bunch of Austinians out there at Lakewood and on television. Inspired by our messages, but I turn everything back to the Lord. But I have no, you know, have no... Uh- desire to become a denomination or have followers of me but followers of christ but uh, yeah but everyone who believes your theology is a follower of you they're a disciple of joel osteen yeah and let me let me give you a passage again on this i think it will help kind of frame all this matthew 28 matthew 28 the great commission matthew 28 jesus says all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me okay Go there and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Very important word there, I. So Jesus, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you are only to learn the things that Christ has commanded that you be taught. In other words, you have to believe in Jesus' doctrines. And where do we go to find Jesus' doctrines and Jesus' commands? Answer, only in Scripture. Only. Joel Osteen, in this interview, admitted that his book is based upon his take, his ideas. Are we as Christians to be discipled in the thoughts of Joel Osteen, or are we to be discipled only in the teachings of Christ? Answer, only in the teachings of Christ. So when somebody comes to you teaching a doctrine that doesn't have its origins in Scripture, that's the only place you can go to find the teachings of Christ. If it doesn't have its origin in Scripture, but it has its origin in the mind of the pastor or the theologian, then we're to reject it and say, no, we are only disciples of Jesus. Jesus does not will that you teach your ideas as his own. We are only to be taught what Christ has commanded. And that means that we are only to listen to the voice of Scripture, not to the voice of the opinions of men. You see the difference? I mean, it's just absolutely stunning what's going on here. I do think that, again... I've been a little unusual, and I've got outside of the church world. Maybe I talk about life, forgiveness, having good attitudes, reaching your dreams, mm-hmm. not just, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times religion pushes people down. As a Catholic, have, let me just ask you this. Have you tried the power of crippling guilt? <laughs> <laughs> have you tried that? <laughs> yeah, and the reason why the Roman Catholics have so much crippling guilt is because Rome anathematized the biblical gospel. 
did it at the Council of Trent. And, uh, man, yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, it's so funny. Yeah. But so it works funny. for me, man. It works for me. <laughs> yeah. uh, I better do it. I better be better. <laughs> I know. But, you know, really, Stephen, it's funny because it, it is the reason a lot of people don't go to church. They tell me, Joel, I'm guilty enough. I don't go to church. Right. And so, you know what? Our, ours, our message is a little bit different. It's if God is for you, that uh-huh. you can recover. Ours from- is a little different. Not, not, not Ours is more biblical. Ours is just different. The question is, who's preaching what Scripture says? You can reach your dreams. You yeah. don't have to live under that, you know, the yeah. guilt of condemnation. Now, as a TV preacher, how do you feel about the image that people have of TV preachers of give me your cash and you too will get cash? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Is there any is there any of that in your preaching? No, I don't believe any of that. No, I just try to stay do away. Do you ask people to send you cash? No, we don't. Never really? have. Never have. Oh, that's refreshing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. No, no. Let me ask you this. Regardless. Regardless of whether you ask, do they send you cash anyway? People send cash anyway, though. <laughs> yeah, and he teaches the prosperity heresy. Uh huh. Even though he's not the one saying, sow a seed into our ministry. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Yeah. So Colbert just uh, wiped his hands and said, yeah, forget it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm washing my hands of you. Here's the thing. Let me say this. <laughs> Let me tell you that. I mean, it is, I mean, it's absolutely stunning. I mean, people are laughing at Osteen. They, you know, this was not a good interview for him. I should clarify that. They don't send me cash. I don't take a salary. But okay. I think people can see sincerely. You don't take a salary? That's a nice a suit, man. That's <laughs> because I brought you this book, you know. Yeah, he's out there selling his books, yeah. Um, is there, is there like, is there a, uh, uh, a, a core message uh, to I am that is not one of, say, prosperity. Is there, is, there, is there one thing you want people to take from this book? Well, one thing is to not be against yourself. You're made in the image of God. He made every person a masterpiece. It's easy to say, I'm, I'm, not, you know, I'm not as smart as him, not as funny as him, not as talented as somebody. Quit being against yourself. And all through the day, I think, not arrogantly, but in the inside, I am a masterpiece. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm strong. I'm talented. Well, you do look Strong and talented. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I like your open message like this, like this very accepting, you know, non-denominational, non-rejection. It's see- his message, though. It's Osteen's. It's not the message of Scripture. Osteen comes in the name of Osteen. Well, actually, he comes in the name of Jesus preaching Osteen's message, not Jesus's message. That's the problem. Sort of like a, a Texan Pope Francis in that way. <laughs> Ooh, wow. Man, that was a burn. A Texan Pope Francis, really. Pope Francis, I'm guessing, like, maybe with abs. Because you seem... <laughs> yeah, so he's um, Pope Francis with abs. Wow. Again, that was not a good interview for uh, Joel Osteen. And he looked uncomfortable, and he should have looked uncomfortable because... Colbert was not friendly. He really was hostile, although he was hostile with a smile on his face. Um, the, the questions he asked, you know your doctrine, you know your theology, were quite damaging. All right, now I'm going to save the uh, Lisa Combs segment for another episode of Fighting for the Faith. We'll probably get to it sometime next week. 
And uh, instead, what we're going to do right now is we're going to go into our second break. So if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're going to head down to C3 Church in uh, Australia, Oxford Falls, and listen to a sermon from a young guy there. Yeah, stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Rich Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Faith Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, is having a biblical worldview conference February 5th and 6th, 2016, with the theme, Standing Firm in a Hostile World, to help Christians in a culture that is increasingly hostile to biblical Christianity. Speakers will include Pastor David J. Weber, Attorney Mark Stern, Professor Alan Quist, Dr. Adam Francisco, and Pastor Joseph Abrahamson. Registration and details can be found at worldviewsa.org. Again, that's worldviewsa.org. Two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's uh, sermon comes to us via C3 Church out in Sydney, Oxford Falls campus. Alex Farncombe presiding. He's one of the young guys there. 
The name of the sermon we'll be listening to is titled, I'm Happy Without Jesus. I'm Happy Without Jesus. And this is an interesting sermon. The reason why I say that is because Alex is a smart guy, and he's been reading. He's been studying, and he doesn't quite understand it yet that his study of God's Word and trying to get it in, you know, understand it in depth is going to cause a major collision with what is actually happening and being taught at C3 Church. And um, this should be an interesting sermon because clearly the guy is wrestling, but at the same time, he's also a bundle of really bad theology and doctrine. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. Without any further ado, here's the sermon, I'm Happy Without Jesus. Here we go. Good evening. How is everyone? Are you good? Can you hear me? We're good. All right. So take your seats quick. We're going to get straight into it, guys. I'm going to muck around here. All right. So um, if you don't know me, my name is Alex. I'm part of the team here at C3 Church. Uh, a couple of things since the last time I've, I spoke have happened. The first thing is that we've started C3 Roselle Fridays. Thank you for the 15 people that said that encourage us then. Uh, so C3 Roselle Fridays is a service we've started out in our Roselle campus under Warden, oh, uh, anyway, uh, under Warden uh, Nicole Lucas. And our goal there is to reach university students and young professionals and young adults in that area. And it's uh, actually shaped what tonight's message is based on my experience in trying to reach out and see people who don't know Christ fall in love with him, who, people who are far from Jesus come close to him and find... Now, did you hear that? Based upon his what? His experience. His message is based on his experience, and the goal is to help people fall in love with Christ. Now, that means he is either unaware of or has rejected the biblical doctrine of original sin. And uh, people who are dead in trespasses and sins don't fall in love with Jesus. They can't. And so I would point him to a passage like Ephesians chapter 2, talking about the uh, the Christians at the church in Ephesus prior to their conversion. He's, here's what Paul says. And you, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. But God, God there is the noun of the, of the next portion of this and the next verbs, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with him. And God seated us, seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So I don't think Alex is aware of this yet, but he's holding on to a form of the Pelagian heresy, which is the denial of the doctrine of original sin. And therefore, he believes mistakenly that people become Christians by them exercising their free will. Ephesians 2 makes it clear that you're dead and that God is the one who makes you alive. So fascinating what we're listening to. So he's got some interesting stuff going on under the hood we continue find life in him so i'm really excited to share with you about that and all the things that i've learned on that journey uh but the most uh memorable moment of my existence so far has been the pleasure and privilege of getting engaged 
That's my fiance on the front row, Felicity. And uh, I proposed to her on December 30th last year. And uh, I'm not one much for sentiment, but I, I think I managed to, to surprise her. But as she, we, uh, she was, uh, we were de- debriefing my proposal uh, on, on that day. Um, we were talking through it, and I was like, did you know? Did you know? Because I really wanted to surprise her. And, and she's like, no, I didn't know. Although I was getting a bit suspicious about three quarters of the way in because you had been so nice and you weren't annoying. So that's a, I, I felt like that paints a really good picture of our relationship. Um, yeah, so, which I took as a license just to be more annoying. So that's where we're going with. Okay, so uh, I just want to say as well the, uh, what an absolute privilege it is to preach in this pulpit, to preach at C3 Church, Oxford Falls. I uh, did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, I did not, uh, I was not accustomed to the Christian religion. I was not accustomed to the Christian faith. I got, I became a Christian in this church when I saw the glory and goodness of Jesus. But just because you see Jesus, just because you get that revelation of Jesus doesn't mean it stops there. And you actually really need spiritual fathers and mentors and disciples and pastors and leaders who will take you on the journey to continue in Christ. And so my, uh, I can't, uh, I don't have, I don't have the words Uh, to express my appreciation about being a son of this house. I truly feel like a son of C3 Church. And I'm so grateful for the spiritual fathers like Pastor Phil, Pastor Mark, Pastor Reuben, and Pastor James, who have continually encouraged me, supported me, released me, and empowered me. And um, I I am just so grateful to be preaching here with you this evening. And I'm so grateful for, for, for pastors like Pastor Phil and Pastor James. Can we give it up for Pastor James right now? Thank you so much. Okay, so... I got one, I'm really, I'm really, really excited to share this message. If you don't know me, my name is Alex. I've got red hair and by nature I am excited. So if, uh, just, just bear with me with that. Okay, so I'm really excited though because uh, I'm going to do something a little bit different tonight, with, not including the blackboard, but I'm going to do something that uh, just to kind of, I just, I just really have found that uh, today's generation is uh, all over social media. It's all online and, and I, I've been witnessing this for a couple of years, how much of our lives are now on our phones and on social media and on online platforms. And that's not to say it's reality, but it's where we spend a lot of our life. Interesting place to kind of start here. No, no, normally if you want to be a good discipler, mm -hmm, yeah, that means you have to start with a biblical text, read it in context, large piece of scripture, and then work your way back through it, helping people understand the proper sense of it. So it's weird here. You know, again, he said he was going to be talking about, you know, from his experience, and his experience is having a huge bearing on what he's talking about, which is not a good thing. That's a bad thing. Right, because I'm not going to put on Instagram when I stub my toe and accidentally swore, right? I'm only going to show you the best stuff, right? So it's not reality, but it's where people spend their lives. So in doing that, I've realized that if people are spending their lives there, then what they're, what they're doing is that that's what they're relying on and using to find truth. That's what they're relying on and using to find meaning, to find information, to be educated, to be informed. And so I've been witnessing this. And for two years, I had this struggle about would I start a blog or not? Would I, I wanted to be an online platform, an online place where people could find out about Jesus, could learn about their Christian walk, could develop in their Christian walk. And I had this false humility complex, right? I felt like oh, if I start this thing, uh, people will think I'm going to do it to get preaching gigs and just and, and get a platform out there because I'm not getting the opportunities at church or something. And I battled this for two years and then I realized that and I feel like the Lord kind of showed me this that if I was so worried if people actually thought that about me it showed they didn't know me 
And so I, I just felt, okay, well, well they're going to think that anyway, so let's do it. So in September, I launched this online platform, and uh, I'm, I'm saying all of this just to show how significant social media is in today's ministry. And for us to be active witnesses, to be people who are preaching the gospel and building the church, we need to really know what, we're, what, what social media is. It's not just that thing that you passively check when you're going through your Facebook feed. It's actually a tool we can use to advance the kingdom, to further the gospel, to help people find Jesus Christ. Okay, so... Um, the, uh, I started this blog, and, and, and a, a couple of Roselle Friday services ago, a couple of months ago, four guys walked in, and I, I went up to meet them and, and, just, and introduced myself. And I said, well, how did you find out about the service? And, they said, and the guy said to me, oh, I didn't find out really about the service. All I did was read your blog. I found your blog through Facebook, started reading it, thought, this could be cool. And I told my friends, we should go check out this service. It might be all right. And then, so one of uh, the four friends he brought, one of his friends gave his life to Christ in that altar call, right? So what we're doing is not insignificant on social media. It can, has the potential to have great effect. Right. So... I thought, okay, well, let's do something a little bit different. Uh, up on the screens right now should come up um, a, li- uh, a link to my Instagram bio and my website because I've actually got the sermon notes online for you to go through right now. Yeah, I got them up right now. So, uh, and, and so the reason why I've done that is that, that not everyone learns from a preacher speaking at them. I've witnessed this. I mean, that's how I learn, but a lot of people like to see. A lot of people like to read. A lot of people like to know where the message is going so they know when they're getting out of church, right? So, well, now you know. Spoiler alert. So if you want to go and put that on right now, this is your permission to be in church because I know so many of us do a sneaky Instagram session like halfway through the message, right? You know, you know you do. Okay, so go ahead and do that. People do that? They have sneaky Instagram sessions during a church sermon? Really? I, I did not know that. Do that and so... Uh, and, and, and whilst you're doing that, I just want to t- tell you the three purposes that I believe out my, uh, this message will achieve tonight. And it serves three purposes tonight. For the person who's thinking... Maybe I'll give, a, uh, give church a rest in 2016 because it's not working out for me. I'm not finding enjoyment. I'm not experiencing God. I want to encourage you to keep churning up. Following Jesus is a privilege to enjoy, not a religion to be endured. Okay, interesting thing to lead off with. Makes you wonder, since he already admitted that uh, this is based on something that he's experienced, that uh, he himself, as a young guy... Sounds to me like he's having conversations with people his age over at C3 who are done with church, which is to be expected with the theology, the false doctrine that they're teaching there. But uh, we continue. Following Jesus is the most wonderful, incredible experience that you could ever have. If you haven't found that yet, keep going. I promise you it gets better. I promise you you will experience him again. I promise you that he is faithful and for your good. Why? Because I have empirical evidence. I've seen him do it in my life. Do not give up. All right. So notice what he did there. To those of you who feel like you're not experiencing Jesus, I have empirical evidence. He didn't go to a biblical text. I have empirical evidence. He talked about his own experience. Yeah, we're pointing people in exactly the wrong direction. And my question is, where on earth does Scripture promise that uh, we're going to have great experiences? I'm not familiar with those texts. So we've really got a problem here. Um, Nowhere in Scripture we promise that the Christian life is going to be just chock full of great experiences. And I would point you to the Apostle Paul. 
talking against the super apostles. Mm-hmm. These were men, uh, the super apostles, who uh, basically are much a lot like the megachurch pastors of today, pointing to their wealth, pointing to their success as, as somehow signs of God's blessing. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 just blows that all up. He does so in quite an ironic manner. And uh, here's how he does it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16, Paul says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do accept me as a fool so that I, I too may do a little boasting. You know, Paul's going to boast. And he's going to be talking as a madman and a fool, and he's doing it to make a point. It says, what I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but I'm going to say this as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I'm going to boast too. For you will gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you and devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. Well, to my shame, I must say that we were far too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool again, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. And he says, I'm talking like a madman. Just He's not really boasting here. He's talking like them in order to make the point. With far greater labors, with far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day, and I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all of the churches. Who's weak and I am not weak? Who's made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. Yeah, so yeah, the Christian life, Christ himself said to expect persecution. So if you are in Christianity in order to have great experiences, you are going to be let down because Scripture nowhere promises that the experience of being a Christian is easy or great or brings joy and brings happiness or anything like that. No. In fact, it brings hardship. It might even cause you to lose your life. So we got a real problem here, and that is, is that, well, our uh, our young preacher, our young preacher out there at uh, C3, Alex Farncombe, he is at this point, well, he's clearly wrapped up in the theology of glory. But as you're going to see as the sermon progresses, He's wrestling with the theology of the cross that he sees in Scripture, and it's causing a collision, and I don't even think he sees the contradiction in his own theology yet. He'll see it the more he keeps going deeper into the theology of the cross, 
But right now, this is theology of the glory, Pelagianism, and this idea that somehow Christianity is supposed to provide, you know, excellent experiences. The greatest and truest fulfillment is still found in Christ Jesus. The second person, the second purpose of this message is for the person who wouldn't call themselves a Christian. You're here for the first time, or you're dropping by, or you've been in and out of church, but you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You wouldn't identify yourself as someone who follows and believes in Jesus. You're here because a friend brought you, or or, or whatever. Uh, That's cool. I'm glad that you came tonight. What I'd like for you to do is to actually consider the Jesus that I'm talking about tonight. All right, we're going to consider his Jesus, and uh, when we get to the end of the sermon, uh, we're going to consider his Jesus in light of if the person is a pagan, is an unbeliever. Um, okay, so we'll consider the Jesus that he's talking about. Is it the biblical Jesus, and are we going to hear the biblical gospel? Those will be the questions we answer. Really think about Jesus. At the end of the service, there's going to be an opportunity for you to raise your hand and to pray to, pray to Jesus, to receive his love, to receive his grace. So I, I don't, I want, don't get distracted by my red hair or my funky shirt. Think about Jesus tonight as we go through this sermon. It's all about All right, he says the sermon's going to be all about Jesus. Well, we'll test that and see if it really is all about him. We continue. And then finally, it's for the friends, people in here, and I think we all, and this is the crux of this message, I think we all have friends who are happy without Jesus. I think we all have friends who are not in church, who do not believe in Jesus, who don't, go, who don't uh, give in the offering, who don't uh, lift their hands in worship, who don't attend church, but are actually happy. And so what's the, the, the dilemma that is for us is we go, well, uh, our understanding is, well, the only way to get happiness is Christ, right? But if we believe that statement, the only way to get happiness is Christ, and then we see people who are happy, it creates a problem for us because we don't know how to make the gospel relatable to those people. Now, I'm going to pause here. Now, this is important. He's not affirming the idea that p- people can only be happy uh, in Christ, That's what he's been taught, and he's wrestling with it. That's the part that shows that there's something going on in Alex's brain, in his heart, in his mind as he wrestles with these things, and he's trying to figure out what do we do here to make the gospel relate. And the problem is is that he, along with so many other people in the visible church, have been told that somehow the gospel is that you know you are going through your life as a pagan and you're not happy you are unhappy you have a god-shaped hole in your heart and i've come to tell you that uh, the good news that jesus will fill that hole that's actually not the gospel and so he's wrestling with this because he's he's realizing it's that that isn't quite right and he's right there are a lot of pagans who are very happy without Jesus. Super de duper happy. Happy, 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 happy. And if you're going to talk with them and say, listen, you know, I, I know that you're just not happy in your life. They're going to look at you and go, what are you talking about? I make more money than you do. I drive a better car than you do. Have you seen my house and my wife? I mean, why would I not be happy? What are you talking about? They, would, they have no clue what you're talking about. See, the thing is they're dead in trespasses and sins. And so I'm going to kind of, you know, insert a little bit more biblical teaching here. The good news of Christianity is not that Jesus is going to make you happy or that he's going to give meaning to your life. The Apostle Paul clearly tells us what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, in which you received, in which you stand, 
and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And here it is. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scripture. He was buried, and he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the Scripture. Yeah, the gospel is the good news that Christ died for our sins. Now, I want to give you an example. I want to give you an example from the book of Acts of the Apostle Paul preaching the gospel to people who've never heard it before. And this is on one of his missionary journeys. This is in Acts chapter 13 when he goes to uh, the synagogue at Antioch of Pisidian. I want you to pay pay close attention to how he preaches the gospel. He doesn't preach the God-shaped hole in your heart to these people. He doesn't proclaim that you know they can be happy and have significance and and finally once and for all they they can have a life that is just amazing. It's not what he says at all. Watch what he does in Acts 13. Acts 13 starting at verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Pathos, it came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and they sat down. And after the reading of from the law and the prophets, the rulers in the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up, and he motioned with his hands, and here's what he said. Watch, this This is an evangelistic, first-century, apostolic sermon. That's what this is. And listen to how much different it sounds to so much of the nonsense that we hear in today's churches. Men of Israel... And you who fear God, listen, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All of this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he had testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, he who will do all of my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he's promised. What is Jesus saving us from, by the way? Unhappiness? Watch what the Apostle Paul says. Before his coming, John had proclaimed baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterance uh, of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come with uh, with him, from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that God, what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising 
Jesus, as he also as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son today, I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised did not see corruption. So let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Now, so there it is, the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins in Christ, him raised from the dead, him being the promised Messiah and Savior, and he's doing this from the Old Testament texts, reminding them of what the scriptures say, proclaiming to them that there is salvation in Christ, and that in him, in Christ, there is the forgiveness of sins. And then he doesn't end with an altar call. Nope, watch what he does. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you. So he ends with a warning against unbelief. Not an altar call calling them to make decisions for Jesus. And there's a simple reason why. Because the Apostle Paul knows that God works through the preaching of the gospel. As he penned in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word Christ. So he's he understands the Holy Spirit's going to do the work through the preaching of the gospel. And that's how he ends his evangelistic sermon. So the preaching of the gospel is repentance and the forgiveness of sins, which is exactly what Jesus tells us to do as Christians in Luke chapter 24. In, the, in Luke's version of the uh, Great Commission, we have some very important words from Jesus. Luke chapter 24, starting at uh, verse 46, And Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah, the Christ, should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So here's the idea. You want to do evangelistic preaching? You must proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You must proclaim that in Christ is the forgiveness of sins. And if somebody doesn't understand what sin is, then their need to be forgiven for their sins, that means you have to preach God's law and explain how they're guilty and how Christ has bled and died in their place and then call them to repent and to believe and warn them of unbelief. Beware, lest you scoff and perish, right? But no altar calls. Okay, fascinating stuff. So I, I, this was important groundwork that we have to lay in order to get to the back end of the sermon. But uh, let's, let's see what Alex does next. And so I want this message to help you, to equip you. So it's going to be a bit of a teaching message because I want to help us that that 2016 is not another year of us not bringing people to church. It's not another year of us not talking about Jesus because it's not relevant to the people that are in our world. It's actually a year where we get encouraged. Yeah, but if you preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins, it's relevant to everybody because everybody needs to be forgiven of their sins, which is why Jesus tells us to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name. 
and equipped to go out and further the gospel of Jesus Christ, that people will know of the glory, goodness and grace of Jesus Christ and it is relevant to them. Right, that's, that's, they're my three aims this evening. So we are going to get a little bit dense and into the Word, and I'm going to bring out the blackboard and all that kind of stuff. And then, but at the end of the, the message, we're going to have this time to encounter God, to encounter the perfect shepherd, Jesus Christ, who leads us beside still waters. Where in the Scripture does it say that we can have Jesus encounters? That's a man-made teaching, a man-made practice. It makes us lie down in green pastures. So let's get on. Are you, are you with me? Okay, cool. All right, so here's the deal. The reality, of, uh, the reality is, is a lot of people in the Western world are going to have lives that are pretty sweet and fulfilling. They might have struggles, but ultimately, if they have their family, property, peers, and paycheck, they're feeling pretty good. They're the kind of four idols that I think are in the Western world. Family, property, peers, and paycheck. This is what a lot of people live for if they're not living for a God. They're living for their family, what their family thinks of them, or looking after their family and building their family. They're looking to buy property, to own property, to have, to, uh, uh, to have an investment property. They're looking for uh, peers. They're looking for a great friendship circle that will support them and look after them and, and have uh, provide fun and enjoyment into their life and they're looking for a paycheck they're looking for a job a career that will kind of facilitate the other three idols right so that's what that's that, that's kind of what i've seen is what the western world considers to be the most valuable experiences getting that paycheck having great friends having a great job owning property and having a, a, a harmonious family life so if they have these things then they're pretty happy even if there's struggles and it's not all working out most people if they've got those things are actually feeling pretty happy so in other words they are happy without jesus that's correct pagans really are he's right they're happy without jesus so I don't know if we can get away with saying that people who don't go to church aren't happy. We can't because that's not the problem that Jesus came to solve. The problem that Jesus came to solve is the problem that we are liable to the wrath of God in eternity in hell because of our sinful rebellion against God. Jesus came to bleed and to die for our sins. That is the way in which he is our Savior. I don't think we can get away with that anymore because I think that the, the, the devil has used comfort and convenience of the Western world to stop people from seeing the need to have Jesus. Be- no, actually, comfort and convenience is one of the things that you know, a lot of people in the Western world experience. You know, In fact, percentage of the population, few don't experience it in the Western world. The issue is, is that people don't realize they need Jesus because... Jesus is pitched as the solution to them needing happiness rather than him being proclaimed as the one who bled and died for their sins and called them to repent and to be forgiven so that they do not have to experience the wrath of God. doesn't matter if you live in a mansion or if you live on the streets of Calcutta. Proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins is relevant to every human being regardless of their socioeconomic status because i'm happy without him because their goal is happiness and if they've got it then they feel satisfied and so i want to talk into that message now because i've been doing some research because that really kind of puzzled me because i was always about well wait 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 you'll find happiness with god but people are happy without living for jesus so what do we do notice the confession there he's puzzled by this so he's been doing research we're going to hear the result of his research He started down a journey that will ultimately lead him out of C3. 
with that. I was recently working hard at trying to get one of my friends to come back to church, really working hard, chatting to him about it. Why won't you come back? Look at this. This is why the Christian life is better. This is why uh, you, you He was telling a friend, this is why the Christian life is better. You should go to church. This is why you should give it another shot. And, uh, and then I started to question for a second, because as I was trying to convince him and persuade him to, to come to church, I realized that I, I, I asked myself the question, wait, why would he want to come back? Why would he want to come back to church? What can I offer him that he wants? I thought about what can I offer him that he wants? Now, the question is, you need to proclaim Christ and him crucified for his sins, because that's what he needs. About it, and this is really uh, challenging for me. I, I probably can't offer him anything that he wants. That's right. Because if he's happy, I don't have much to offer him. Well, if you think that Jesus is all about solving the happiness problem, you really don't have anything for real to offer, do you? And so it really tested my understanding of the gospel and going to church. Because I was like, why, why am I trying so hard to try and get people to church when they don't really see how it's going to meet any of their needs? Why am I trying so hard to preach the gospel when it doesn't seem like it's meeting anyone's needs and that's quite an existential dilemma for a preacher and what would cause a dilemma like that for a preacher the thing that's at the root of that is a misunderstanding altogether of the gospel and the problem that christ came to solve (laughs) because that's my life and if i've just discovered that my life message is irrelevant and pointless i don't know what to do (laughs) it's real simple the question is go back to the text and ask yourself this question have i rightly understood what scripture reveals start there alex the answer to that question is no you have not you haven't um and so anyway what i want to do though i'm I'm sharing that honestly with you so that you can see where i came from to the so you can see that yeah i got to this conclusion but you know where i came from that i'm not just i'm not someone who had it all together who just is saying stuff for the sake of saying stuff no i've been on this journey and i've found the fulfillment in jesus christ i've found why it matters to live for jesus i've found why it matters to live for jesus Law, law, he's confusing law and gospel. We continue. Why it's better to live for Jesus. I've found why it's the truth to worship him as the one and true God. And so that's the journey that we're going on. Yeah, we'll test that. Okay, so are you with me? Are we good? All right. Um, okay, so uh, point number one is when people find, I want to deal with this, uh, this, this issue that we have when we're reaching out to people. When people find happiness and fulfillment without Jesus. When people find happiness and fulfillment without Jesus. Okay, so there are two kinds of people who are happy without Jesus. The first kind of the per- people who have never lived for Jesus. That might be you here tonight. You couldn't say I've never, you, 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 might, you couldn't ever say that you were a Christian, that you've loved Jesus, that you've lived for Jesus, that you've wanted. Notice law, 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 live for Jesus, love Jesus. All, all The emphasis is all on everything you've got to do. I don't think we're really going to hear the gospel in this, and that's a problem. We're not going to hear all about what Christ has done for us. That'll tell you a lot about what he's been taught. Wanted to spend your entire life serving him, you, you, you probably would say, I'm not a Christian. You might say you're agnostic or skeptical or an atheist, and you're feeling pretty happy with your life. And so you don't feel the need to receive Jesus. 
Okay, I, I understand that. I, I actually was thinking about when you came in here tonight. I'm thinking about you right now. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You wouldn't say, I believe in Jesus. I was thinking about you when I was writing this message. I thought, okay, so how am I going to present the gospel? How am I going to show to you how much better Jesus is? So I understand where you're at. I understand that you found happiness. How am I going to show you that Jesus is so much better? No, 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 no. You don't need to do that. You need to proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins and proclaim in him is the forgiveness of sins like Paul does at Antioch Pisidia without Jesus. What I'd like to suggest to you is that as happy as you are without Jesus, there is a greater fulfillment in Jesus. As happy you as Yeah, no. As happy as you are without there's greater fulfillment. No, this is just more of the same argument. Greater fulfillment, what are you talking about? Where in the Bible does it say that? As you are without living for him, I can promise you, I can testify that it is so much more fulfilling to live for Jesus. All subjective. This is the same argument that the Mormons use. I, I know the Book of Mormon is true, even though there's no historical evidence for it being true. I know it's true because I asked Heavenly Father if he'll give me a burning in my bosom, and I had one, and therefore the Book of Mormon is true. This is just subjectivity based upon what he says is his what? Experience. The question is, what does Scripture say? So this is his theology from his experience, not what the Bible teaches. Christ. The second kind of person is the person who used to live for Jesus. Used to live for Jesus. Again, all law. No emphasis on gospel and believing what Christ has done for them. They used to live for Jesus. They used to be in church. They used to lift their hands in worship. They used to be connect leaders. They used to probably speak on this pulpit. They used to uh, uh, bring people to church. They used to be uh, an empowered and endorsed connect leader, a great pastor, but now they're no longer in church and they're kind of happy. They used to be in church. They're no longer in church and now they're happy. Do we all have friends like that? who used to be in church have left church. We all have friends who used to be in church have left church and are unhappy, right? I don't want to talk about that because we talk about that often. I want to talk about this other instance that a lot of us would experience, that we have friends who used to go to church that are still happy now that they don't go to church. If all they're getting is law and not, uh, not law and gospel properly proclaimed and the gospel proclaimed to them as Christians, Christianity becomes a burden and they become happy when they leave because finally the burden of all of these works leaves with it right and so it maybe it's you or maybe it's your friend and they and they couldn't find and i've been unpackaging this as well and doing a lot of research on this they couldn't find the fulfillment in jesus that i'm talking to you about tonight and so here's what i've here's what i've discovered is that those kind of people now i'm not talking about you as an object i'm just i'm just using i'm talking for illustration purposes i don't i'm not judging you i'm not calling you an object i'm just talking i'm doing the illustration all right you're a person and we love you okay so um but what people do when they can't find fulfillment in Christ is they cut out the spiritual part of their existence. Because they were in church and lifting their hands in worship and couldn't connect. Because they were giving in their offering and they weren't seeing blessing. Because they were turning up to church and their life wasn't changing. They weren't feeling... Notice what he just said there. They were giving in the offering and they weren't experiencing blessing. Of course they weren't. Because it's a false doctrine that's taught at C3 Church. You give and then God blesses a hundredfold and gives back. Yeah, that's not how that works. You don't give to get. But C3 Church, 
teaches a form of the prosperity heresy. So what happens? People, they do, well, okay, well, that's what God wants me to do. I'm having a hard time paying my bills. So, okay, God, I don't have a lot of money, but here I've, I've given until it hurts. And, um, and now where's my blessing? And the blessing doesn't show up. Why doesn't the blessing show up? Because they were conned by a false theology. And so they leave and then they're happier. <laughs> this is a fascinating sermon on so many levels. And this guy is like on the front lines. He can tell you the names and knows the faces of actual people who've left and given this as the reason because the, what they're preaching there doesn't work. I don't have the feelings anymore. You promised me God's blessings. I still am having a hard time paying my bills. What you got, Christianity is nonsense. That's what's going on here. And that's what he's talking about. We continue. I no longer have a purpose, right? If, 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 um, if there are, ins- and so, and the same applies to denying yourself. Jesus says in uh, Matthew sixteen twenty four, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That is not the sales pitch if you're trying to get someone to become a Christian. Yep, that's right. Uh, you let him pick up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. So why can we do that? Why are we able to say, yeah, no, you should do this. This will be an incredible thing. Yeah, and before you answer your question, don't, you better only answer it from the Bible and not from your own theological musings. For you to do, because our goal isn't happiness, which means our goal isn't comfort, convenience, or happiness. Our goal is the glory of God. And so because our goal is his glory, we can endure times when it's difficult. Because our goal is his glory, it doesn't have to always work up. Yeah, again, this is philosophy. This is not theology. I need biblical texts. In order for us to rejoice. So the word says rejoice in suffering. It doesn't always have to work out in order for you to find fulfillment in Christ. This is only ever going to make sense until you experience, when you experience his goodness. And How do I go about experiencing his goodness? And may I say he is good because the word says in Ephesians uh, 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power at work within us. God is able and willing. Yeah, another passage out of context. Yeah, God is able and willing. I mean, able and willing to do what? God is able and willing. So this is, this is the big difference, right? If the goal is happiness, if the goal is happiness, then your world is going to break down because you cannot always guarantee it. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. Which biblical text says this again? This is your philosophy. It sounds nice. It sounds like a nice idea to live for your happiness, to live that everyone would be happy, but it's impossible. It's impossible. So what do we do when that happens, when the breakdown occurs? This is why the Christian faith actually can endure. This is why the Christian faith is reliable. This is why the Christian faith is stable. This is why you should put your faith in Christ. Because when I am in suffering, I can still know it's bringing him glory. Therefore, I'm fulfilled. If I- yeah, again, this is philosophy. I need biblical text in context. If I am struggling, I, can, and I know it's for his benefit, for his glory, therefore I'm fulfilled. When I do go through a tough time, I know that my commitment and faithfulness to Christ will bring him glory, therefore I... Fu- my commitment, my faithfulness, la, 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 la. Again, which biblical text actually says this doctrine? Find fulfillment. Because it wasn't about my happiness, it was about the glory of Christ Jesus. It's a big... Shouting it doesn't make it biblical. 
vision. It's a truer, greater fulfillment. It just requires so much more of us. It requires us to deny ourselves. A Christian gospel following Jesus is where you find fulfillment. I've got to move forward. Here's, here's my final point. G- now, I'm not saying that being a Christian doesn't have its own way of being fulfilling. It does. But you're not actually teaching us what the Bible says. Jesus is the way to true satisfaction. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jesus is the way to true satisfaction. All the other satisfaction, it's not true. What is this? Psalm 23, verse 1 to 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The green pastures signify that the, uh, the, 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 the... the green pastures are what sheep eat. David is talking about, as a shepherd, he's talking about being the sheep of God. The Lord is... Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression. God, the Holy Spirit, is now descending as people are getting ready to make decisions. Now, he said this was going to be all about Jesus. Has it been? No, we haven't heard anything about Jesus at all. Seriously. So, remember, he said that part of this was for people who were not already Christians. That they'd have an opportunity to make a decision at the end of this. Decision to do what? Is my shepherd. He says he makes me lie down in green pastures. What is the significance of that? Well, the green pastures, the grass is what the sheep eat. uh, That's what sheep consume. That's what they eat. And so when he says he makes me lie down in green pastures, when a sheep is full, I don't know if you know this, but when a sheep is full, it falls over. (laughs) It's full. It's satisfied. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So what's David saying? He fulfills me. He, uh, he, he gives me all that. See, right there, Jesus fulfills me. He makes me satisfied. See, it's all about, you know, man, what a mess. That I need. What about the yay, though, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death part? He makes me lie down in green pastures. Not only that, the green pastures. So here's the deal. In David's time, there were many shepherds. There are many shepherds carrying their sheep, taking their sheep with them, Right. Okay, and so what most shepherds would do is go to the grass that everyone goes to. Most shepherds would take them. And so that grass is being overeaten, overused. A lot of sheep are treading in it, right? So there isn't much. It's like bits of dirt and bits of grass mixed between. It's not luscious. It's not luxurious. It's not satisfying. It's just doing the job. But what commentators talk about is that the, 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 the true shepherd, the shepherd that makes you lie down in green pastures, well, a green pasture means it's off the beaten track. A green pasture means it's not in the nearest proximity to you. It's not at your convenience. So the, the perfect shepherd takes you off the beaten track, which means it's a little bit more difficult, but it's far more satisfying. It's a little bit more challenging. It means it's more difficult, but more satisfying. What commentary said that? I'd like to know that no commentary says that. Challenging, but it's far more rewarding. It's a little bit, it will cost you more, but it will be far more fulfilling. So if you're wondering why it's tough, why God is taking a long time, why it's hard work, it's because he isn't interested in providing you with an average or mediocre experience. Yeah, the reason why you haven't received your blessing yet for all the tithing you're doing at C3 is because Jesus is really setting you up for a greater than mediocre happiness experience, one that's like amazing. What biblical text says that? Because that's not what Psalm 23 says at all. 
He's not interested in that. He wants you to have the best, most fulfilling life imaginable. That's why he takes you to the green pastures and not the easy pastures. That's why he goes, yeah, your happiness is important, but wait until you see what I have in store for you. Come up on this mountain. Keep believing. Keep giving. Keep turning up to church. Keep bringing people. Keep Keep giving. Keep giving. He's become a company man. He's a C3 company man. Doing what? Got to get the people to give more money. <laughs> and yet he's struggling. He's wrestling. Something is giving. Alex, read your Bible. You're not teaching anything biblical here. Reaching out to your friends. Wait and see what he will do. Wait and see the green pastures that he will cause you to lay down in. And he leads me beside still waters. Still waters, and, and are in, as commentators talk about, are in contrast to wild waters. So sheep uh, not being the smartest of animals <clears throat> and humans not being that smart compared to God. Uh, is Sheep would put their, uh, would often, uh, if, the, if the water was streaming really, really, really fast, they would still put their mouth in to get the water. Because the water's streaming really, really fast, it's not really an easy drinking experience. Has anyone turned on a tap, right? But it's like one of those taps that's just all or nothing. It's like, and shh, like that. And you try and have a drink, and you're like, bah, bah. Right, your tongue's getting hurt. It's, just, it's actually doing more damage than any kind of satisfaction, right? Right, so that's what sheep are doing in most rivers, wild rivers, right? But the word says that God leads you to still waters. He leads you to still waters. He leads you to a place where you can enjoy it, where you can enjoy Him. God is so amazingly gracious that He considers the innermost desires of your heart. You are not living for a mean, inconsiderate, ignorant God. You're living for a caring, faithful generous all of this is just abstract philosophy do you have a biblical text that you were supposed to be working through on this this isn't a biblical teaching gracious kind i'm not saying god isn't kind or gracious he is but you need to demonstrate it from the word of god god this is what jesus reveals to us of god it reveals to us his kindness his mercy his grace and his goodness and i thought i after getting all up in the on the blackboard i thought i'd read a poem would that be okay as we conclude you're going to read a poem. So we're going to hear more from a poem than we are from the, all of God's word, your bits and pieces combined. We will. He's going, to, he's going to spend more time on this poem than he even did in the word of God. And I don't know what this poem is. It just sounds like Pelagian nonsense. Would that be all right? It's a little bit abstract for some, but uh, we'll just go with it. You and I, we were designed to be portraits of gold but we were spilled out onto a canvas that could not carry all of our light. And so some of us have been raised to believe that this earth is enough, that we are not the beauty of the sky, that he did not make you, that he did not make me into a masterpiece. It's really sad when he spends more time, you know, making sure to get the poem right than the word of God. Sure sign you're dealing with something that's wrong. But I have watched him through the survey of ancient scriptures, words so old and true that they are tattooed onto the heart of every man. He formed us from the dust, glorified specks of dirt, coming together in a whirlwind of love and delight. We were the very first poems of the earth, written with a sweeping hand and loving eyes. We are not tragedy. We, we, we. You said you were going to make it all about Jesus. You're talking a lot about us, not Jesus. You were not a tragedy. Your story has not been written with fading ink. We are symbols of hope to a dying world. Our hearts. 
we are symbols of hope to a dying world. We are? Oh, man. Like ox calling all the drowning people to come inside. We're like arcs calling the people to come inside. No. Jesus is the ark. Wow. And you and I together, we were born into this. We have inherited a bruised ankle and carry heavy hearts in our chests, and we were blessed with eyes that are the color of an ocean believing. Uh huh. Yeah, I think this was, poem was written by Pelagius himself. And when the deep calls out to deep and the waves and the waters crash over us, you will not drown into nothingness. So lift up your hands like only the faithful can. To the wearied souls here this evening, lift your hands just once more. To those who have lifted a million times, lift them a million more. For he made you. He made me. He made us. Yeah, how about he died for us, bled for us. And he was happy. You make the Lord happy. No, I don't. Not in my sins. The cross proves that. Let not our worship of his goodness be drowned out because of this world's darkness. Our hope is still his glory. So each one of us, let us tell the aching in our souls tonight. Hope in God. Hope in God. For he makes me lie down in green pastures. Hope for what from him? He leads me beside still waters. And I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Salvation from what? Jesus is the perfect shepherd. Indeed he is. He has not abandoned you nor forsaken you. He is not disinterested in your existence. His goal is to bring him glory through the fulfilling experience of your humanity. Jesus' goal is to bring himself glory through the fulfilling experience of our humanity. What biblical text says that? Not one. That you would follow him, live for him, and find a fulfillment that this world cannot offer. If you're, This sounds like a sales pitch. If you're someone who thinks that life is about happiness, can I urge you to consider the fulfillment found in Jesus? I know what emptiness feels like. I know what despair feels like. I know what I know what it feels like to cry. I have no more tears to cry. I know what it feels like to feel frustrated with your existence. Can I please tell you, show you, reveal to you that Jesus is so rewarding to follow. So rewarding to follow. Law, law, law. The gospel is Christ died for our sins. And rose again on the third day for our justification. The call of the gospel, according to Christ, is to repent and be forgiven in the name of Christ. Are we hearing anything about law, gospel, sin, grace, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins? And in Christ that we have a Savior and the forgiveness? No, we're not hearing anything about the forgiveness of our sins. That to live for Jesus is so fulfilling. Live for Jesus. That's all law, not gospel. It is incomparable to any experience you can have in this world. It is incomparable. I know this. It is incomparable. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to offer you an opportunity to receive Jesus, to pray to Jesus, to find the fulfillment that I'm talking about. 
find the fulfillment. Yeah, you're not proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins as Jesus told you to in Luke 24. You're calling people to experience fulfillment, which no biblical text says anything about in regard to Jesus. So if everyone could bow their heads and close their eyes right now, and the reason why we're doing this is to respect the privacy of this moment, but also to eliminate distraction, that you would just think right now about Jesus and his fulfillment. That's to you tonight. Yeah, think about the fulfillment you can have in Jesus. In, in privacy, of course, with your head bowed and their eyes shut. Some people think they have to get their act together before they receive him. No, no, no. You've got it now. This is your chance. So there are four kinds of people in a service like tonight. The first is someone who, like me, has found that fulfillment in Christ. You praise him. You love him. You glorify him. You know of how wonderful it is to live for him. You would call yourself a Christian and you're living a Christian Life. You're happy with your existence. You're fulfilled in Christ. This moment right, moment right now is not for you, but can I please urge you to pray for everyone else in this room? Because everybody else in this room, this is for you, and I want to lift you. I want you to lift your hand when I ask you to. This moment is for you. The second kind of person in a, in a, in a, in a service like tonight is someone who has never believed in Jesus. You'd never call, you've never called yourself a Christian. You've never had that experience that I'm talking about. You've never found God's goodness. You've never experienced this kind of green pastures still waters you've never experienced green pastures uh-huh life but you want to but you want to yeah 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 you want to find fulfillment you want to find blessing you want to find that happiness in christ then you're going to call those unbelievers those people who do not believe in jesus to repent of their sins and to be forgiven and trust in christ for the forgiveness of their sins right that's what you're going to do because scripture tells you to do that right alex can I urge you when I count to three later to raise your hand? Make sure you lift your hand and receive that prayer for Christ. Make sure you don't miss out on the goodness, grace, and glory of Jesus. The third- don't miss out on the goodness. What does that mean? What kind of goodness are you talking about? third kind of person is someone who used to be in church. You know what that means because you've been around church for a while. So you know what it means that you used to be in church. You know, like you used to be in Christ. You used to find a rewarding, fulfilling experience in Christ. But you've kind of drifted away. You lost your connection. You felt out of touch. Can I urge you to lift your hand as well when I, when I count to three very soon? Please lift your hand and receive Christ again. You don't have to condemn yourself. You don't have to keep living with mixed ideas about Christianity. No, make it tonight where you find Jesus again, where you find fulfillment in Christ. And finally, anyone here who's not sure, you're just not sure. You kind of get what I'm talking You hearing anything about repentance and the forgiveness of sins? Does this sound anything like how the Apostle Paul preached at Antioch of Pisidia? Talking about, but you're not sure if you know God. You're not sure if you left tonight that you could find that fulfilling and rewarding experience in Christ. This is for you too. Please lift your hand. Lift your hand and receive Jesus. So as I count to three, when I hit three, I want every one of those three people that you either you've never known Christ, you used to know Christ, or you're not sure. Please lift your hand when I count to three. One. This is where you really make that decision. Typically, your heart is beating. I made where you make the de- no biblical text teaches this either. This ten years ago, this decision. Your heart's beating, or you're feeling a bit nervous because you know what's on offer. Your body's starting to realize what could you actually experience in Christ, and it's making you a bit nervous. Can I tell you? Do not be afraid. Do not miss out on this moment. Jesus loves. Don't miss out on this moment. If you act now, we'll throw in some Ginsu knives and maybe even a timeshare. You. Jesus wants to bless you. Jesus wants to be uh, to, to reveal how good and glorious He is. Two, 
Don't be ashamed of yourself if you used to be in church and you fell out of touch. Don't be beating yourself up in this moment. Don't be worried about what people think. Don't allow insecurity to interfere with an experience with God. Make sure you lift your hand. Don't miss out on him. I Trust me. Trust me on this one. He is unbelievable. In- yeah, trust him. He, he, he's unbelievable. You'll have an unbelievable experience too. Trust me. I've had subjective experiences and, and they were unbelievable. In his faithfulness. He's unbelievable in the fulfillment you can find in him. So here we go. When I say three, I, when I say it loud, I want you to lift your hand and say, pray for me, Alex. I want to receive Christ. So here we go. Three. Who is there? Lift your hand right now. Yeah, you get the point. It's all manipulation at the end. So how much biblical doctrine did Daleks teach? Answer, really, none at all. He proved text. Yeah, he ripped a couple verses out of context and then shoved them into the theology he was spinning out of his head. Did a lot of philosophy. But he didn't actually preach the word. He didn't give us any biblical doctrine whatsoever. Weird. Very weird. And yet it's so clear he's wrestling with some things. The things that he's wrestling with, oh, this is a dangerous path for Alex. Because if he starts paying attention to what God's word says, he's going to come in direct collision with the rest of the leadership of C3. Pray for him. Pray for him. Pray that God opens his eyes. Pray that he repents. Pray that he is forgiven for teaching this nonsense and teaching his ideas as if they're Christian doctrine. And pray that he learns and discovers the mercy and the forgiveness of sins and the true biblical gospel. And pray that he suffers for it as he ought to, as we are called to. Ah, what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pyre Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.